In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Glad to have you on the Retirement Pathfinder. I'm Ben George alongside Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane, Retirement Income Planning Specialists at Pathfinder Wealth Management. And today we're talking about the S&P 500, about stocks, about investing strategies. And people are seeing a lot of these, uh, these large cap stocks going up. And they're wondering, should I be a part of that if I'm not already? So we'll discuss kind of you know, whether or not that's a good idea, look back through history and get some lessons and see what we can learn along the way about this idea. So it's going to be a fun conversation today. And I think one that's uh, on top of mind for a lot of people right now that are keeping a close eye on the stock market. So Barbara and Phil, how are you today? We're good. Doing, doing well, Ben. We're good. How are you doing, Ben? I'm, I'm looking forward to next year. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it, it, we're I'm really out there. I'm really out there today. This is September, but I'm looking forward to 2021 because I'm an optimist. So uh, I believe 2021 is going to look much better than this year with everything, everything that's went on in our country and the entire world. Actually, this year, I'm looking forward to next year because I'm certain it's got to be better. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I, I'm just excited to turn the page, although I think we still have a little bit of work to do over these last few months with the election coming up and, you know, winter season yeah. and a possible second wave and all that stuff. You just you just hope it passes and we get to 2021 and we can start fresh. Everybody won't take things for granted. We'll be excited, happy maybe, and have a better perspective on life. That's I guess that's the optimist in me speaking. Who knows? Yep, that's right. We'll mm. go there. Yeah. Phil, what about we you? What's new with you? Well, you know, I talked last time about the farm pond we put in, and within the last week, we got about seven days straight of rain. And so that filled that pond up about halfway. The downside of that is that really, it was not really the most ideal time for the crops to receive that much rain. They really needed more growing season and less rain at this point. They could have used more rain within the last month or so, because we only had about a half an inch, I think, in September or in uh, August. And so it's been pretty sparse. But anyhow, we got good rain. It started to fill up the pond a little bit more, a little bit quicker than I thought. But at the same time, it wasn't the greatest thing for the crops. And uh, even though we have good projections on what beans and, and corn looks like, I think we'll do okay provided we don't get more rain here along the way. But but yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm watching that thing, uh, that pond go up inch by inch, day by day, and that's kind of exciting. Yeah, good stuff. Great yeah. stuff. Uh, let me remind you too, if you uh, haven't joined us before, pathfinderwealth.com is the website where you can get in touch with Barbara and Phil. Plus, you can listen to all of our past episodes right there on the website. And and if you have listened before, make sure you hit subscribe. We'll have a new episode every couple of weeks. So we dive into a number of different topics. And if you missed our last conversation on the Illinois Fair Tax, really good information in that. So I encourage you to go back and check that one out. But you know, we're still kind of taking a relevant and topical approach to the podcast today and talking about the S&P 500 and about investing strategies. And I'll kind of leave this to you to, to kind of explain to me, because I know, I guess a lot of people are, are looking at those large cap growth stocks and kind of seeing that growth and seeing those big numbers and thinking, okay, maybe I need to be a part of this. Maybe I need to move money into that area and trying to figure out the strategy for that. So let's kind of hop into that. And I'll kind of turn it over to you to, to kind of take over. All right. Yeah. That's the big question. You know, why is the S&P 500 or why are large growth U.S. companies outperforming? What's going on? Should I move my money there? Are we missing something? Mm -hmm. You know, so what's driving it? And, you know, the question is, is this too good to be true? Well, as the old saying goes, what goes up must come down. 
But right now, the returns are being driven from large growth companies if you're looking at the S&P 500. Well, there's actually 506 companies in the S&P 500 based solely on market capitalization, which is outstanding stock. It's only the value of the stock. So S&P 500 index is comprised of companies that are $10 billion or greater in stock shares, large cap. It's not based on sales or assets, revenue, or any other measurement. Well, if you look at as of August of this year, Apple is the largest company in the U.S. based on market cap. So it has the highest weighting of the S&P 500. Apple represents about 6.4% of the index. But just as a side note, this is interesting. It took Apple 42 years to reach their first trillion dollars. It took them 21 months to reach their second trillion. Wow. <laughs> At 21 months, actually, much of that growth was as of March this year, yep. which is unprecedented, and especially since Apple doesn't have anything new. So, okay, Apple represents... 6.4% of that index. But if you look at assets and revenue at the end of 2019, first was AT&T, which is 63% more than Apple. But by market cap, AT&T is 0.78% of that index, less than 1% of that index. Walmart's revenue, 200% more than Apple. But Walmart's market cap, 0.67% of that index, again, versus Apple, 6.4%. Well, I was uh, reading from uh, an article sourced from Jason Wheeler on 814 of this year. The top five stocks, which are technology, are driving the index. And these top five represent 22% of the return of that index. Wow. That's so if amazing. You, yeah. So if you look at what's amazing is what it would actually be without these top five. So if you look at Apple at 6.4% of the index, Microsoft is 5.5%, Amazon is 4.6%. Alphabet 3% and Facebook 2%. All of those represent 22% of the index's growth. Now, the index is up 6% this year as of August 12th. These five stocks have added 9.7% positive performance to the index. The other 501 together are down about 3.8%. So if you didn't own those five, you most likely are still down for the year. Bonds would have helped in your portfolio. Many of our investors have between 40 to 60% of their portfolios comprised of short-term bonds. But if you look at even the top sectors driving the market this year, it's technology, 46%, almost half the returns in the market are mm -hmm. technology. Consumer discretionary, 27%. So almost 75% of the market returns this year are just in these two sectors. Well, it's normal to have some stocks overpriced and some stocks underpriced. But there are other places to look besides large growth for investing right now. There are companies that are undervalued. And uh, for our investors, we rebalance during times like this, which is essentially buying low and selling high on a small scale. But the S&P 500 represents about 45 to 7.5% of our portfolios. Well, when we analyze others' portfolios, we see holdings mm -hmm. of between 25 and 50% just in this asset class, large growth companies. So you've got higher returns, but when you've got higher returns, you've got lower lows too. And looking at the best and the worst performing asset classes, interestingly, 2019 was the best performing asset class. The S&P 500 was the best performing mm -hmm. asset class. Now it may be this year, but before that, it was not a, a best performer until 1998, almost 20 years ago. And then I think you're going to talk about the loss of decade a little mm -hmm. bit too, Phil. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Barb. The old saying is true that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. 
And so, uh, you know, if you look back to the 1990s, there's some similarities here. So the question is, you know, is it too good to be true? This is a different time now, Phil, Barb, right? Our clients will tell us uh, we don't want to miss out. This you time know, is different. This time is going to be different. Uh, we need to be moving into asset classes that are more productive because the whole idea here is to make money, right? Well, there's a PowerPoint presentation that Mark Manson put together here recently called The Five Huge Mistakes Investors Are Making Right Now. Five Huge Mistakes Investors Are Making Right Now. We're not going to go over all five. We're just going to talk about mistake number two. And mistake number two is loading up on large U.S. stocks. Ooh, he's recommending against it. So, yes, the last three years, the S&P has been an average of 15.27%. That's per year. That's the average. Well, you know, our clients understand that we tend to lean towards small cap in value, mm -hmm. whether it's international or U.S. Well, by comparison, 3.32. So we have a client, we have to sit there and say, well, gosh, yeah, you only got 3.32 when you could have made 15.27. How do you justify that, Phil? How do you justify that, Barb? Well, we'll tell you how we justify it. This is very important to understand. Okay, so should you change your allocation and put more into the S&P? Well, you have to understand the greater question is, is it a potential trap? So history is a great teacher here, Ben. Chasing. Um, it's chasing returns. And so when you go back to January of 1995 through March of 2000, those were the stellar years for the S&P. We got an average each year of 27.58%. If you weren't getting 20% per year in your portfolio, you felt like you were missing out, you know? And so there's there's something called a herding factor or herding bias going on here. Everybody was chasing those high returns. The S&P 27.58%. What about international small cap? How about 3.44? Oh my gosh. Why would I want to sell for <laughs> 3.44 when I could get 27%? So, you know, that's the thing we have to look at. And so everybody's racing to the, to the grocery store to get the same bread off the shelf, you know? And so the question is, is, is this a trap? Well, Let's take a look at what happened in March, or excuse me, April of 2000. We had something called the tech bubble happen. The, mm -hmm. bu the bubble burst. And, and by the way, the reason why this particular S&P ran that high during those five years, technology, right? Mm -hmm. Technology shall always be with us. It's going to improve. And these things are true, okay? Now, we're just talking about the S&P at 27.58. There's many of those holdings inside the S&P that did much better than that, okay? But what happened was that uh, in April of 2000, the market crashed. And from April of 2008 to March of 2010, during that 10-year period of time, there was a reversal, an actual reversal of these returns. So where we saw the S&P do well at 27%, guess what it did during the next 10 years? It's negative. Negative 0.52%. And international small cap, which only did the 3.44%, 8.42% during that period of time. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And you remember when uh, the investor, everyone was saying, you got the media saying, you know, get out of international during 95 through 2000, get out of international, put all your money in the U.S. And then, then what, then that's what happened. 2000, the bubble burst. It burst, you know, and, and that's the problem when you're chasing returns. Okay. If, if you are really interested in performance, that's really a fool's errand because there's always going to be some asset class that's going to be doing better than the one you hold right now. You change out, go to something else, and sure enough, what happens, it goes down the following year. I'll give you an example of something that happened to one of my clients. I had a, a retired engineer that was uh, doing very well in his portfolio. He's making 12 to 13% with uh, an asset allocated, academically allocated portfolio. He comes to me, he says, Phil, you know what? I've been told 
that I can make 100% return. And this is during the time of 95 to 2000. He was toward the end. He was about 1999, I think, is when he was talking to me at this point, at the height of the market, right? He says, uh, this other firm, this other broker says that uh, I can make uh, 100% per year for you in, in technology. I said, oh, please don't do that. This is a phenomenon. You're going to see the thing reverse at some point. Don't do it. Well, he decided to go. I saw that former client three years later asked him how he was doing. And he volunteered this information to me. He said, Phil, he said, I should have listened to you. I lost 80% of all my holdings, all my retirement, wow. 80% gone. It's a sad story. Within isn't it? three years. Yes, it was very, very sad. And so it's going to swing around. And so all during that period of time, all the gains that were, were made during those five years were lost. And if you got in at the top, you could lose 60 to 80% of your particular holdings and they'll never come back. They'll never come back. So let's look past that period of time. In just the last 19 years, what was the best asset class? Which was the worst asset class? Well, from April of 2000 to March of 2019, last year, listen to this now. U.S. small value stocks did 10.72%. On the average annual return for 19 years, U.S. small value. That's one of the reasons why we recommended is leaning toward a, a higher percentage in the portfolio because they have traditionally outperformed the S&P, which did during the same period of time, Barb, 5.45%, twice as much. Okay. Now, what does that mean in terms of actual dollars? Well, if you had $100,000 that you put into the portfolio back in April of 2000, you would have $692,000 with U.S. small value. Now, we're not recommending you go all into small value. Mm-hmm. Please believe me. We, we want to <laughs> asset allocate. We want to diversify the portfolio. But that's what that asset class did. 692,000. And you know, what's really interesting, Barb, how many portfolios do you see that actually have U.S. small cap value stocks in it? Very few. We don't. We don't see any, right? So large growth, uh, U.S. large growth Mm -hmm. international. Yeah. Yeah. Very seldom we see U.S. small value. And sometimes mutual fund managers will call it a U.S. small value when in fact it's got large value in there. Yes, exactly right. But by comparison, the S&P during the same 19-year period of time went from 100,000 to 274. A $400,000 difference in U.S. small value. So that's called recency bias. So you look back the last three years, this recency bias, this herd mentality, don't get trapped because at some point this is going to turn around. You need to be an international small. You need to be in U.S. small. And so the question is, you know, the S&P 500, is that where you want to put your serious money? Well, you mentioned it too, Phil, and then you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Right. So one asset class, this is what our listeners need to know, is that one asset class each and every year will always outperform mm-hmm. a diversified mm-hmm. portfolio, always. Yep. That's why you have the amount of asset classes you do have, because we don't know, and neither does anyone else know what's going to perform the best that year, so you own them all. But if you're heavily weighted just in one asset class and they happen to perform that year, then you are going to outperform a, a portfolio that's better diversified. But what's interesting is I was looking at some information from a chief economist that we listened to, Brian Westbury from First Trust. And in his paper on August 31st, I'll have to share these numbers with you. And then in the end, I'll, I'll share with you why it's important. But the S&P 500 peaked in February of this year at 3386 and bottomed in March 23rd on March 23rd, 2237. So First Trust is changing their year-end prediction then hmm. to 3,500. Economists are in the business of predicting growth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in the future. So that's what they do. So they have to change their predictions. Well, then 
He changed that back in uh, March, dropped it again. And in August, S&P blew through that 3,500 prediction. Well, now First Trust went back to their original prediction of 3,650 by the end of this year. <laughs> and according to Brian Whisper, he feels that it's uh, a fair pricing for the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. It's not overpriced. The fair pricing for the S&P 500 would be 4050 in the year 2021. But as Brian says, and, and as we say, it just goes to show you, you can't time the market. Yeah. A well-diversified portfolio is going to get you through these times. He didn't really, did he take in consideration the election or anything like that? I don't, I don't think he did. No, I think he's just basing it on how, how it continues to grow in spite of what's going on in our country. And, yeah. you know, but, but I think our listeners need to know, in spite of talking about all these numbers, that it really all starts with your long-term goals. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so chasing returns and, you know, it's the three things that we say we don't do, which is stock picking, market timing, and track record investing. And, and you just have a diversified portfolio. We rebalance accordingly on the highs and lows. And then you're, you have everything covered. Yeah, I think that one of the people, like I said earlier, you know, you don't want to really measure your portfolio success by performance. If you do, you're going to be totally frustrated. You'll jump from strategy to strategy, from firm to firm, from mutual fund to mutual fund, never being satisfied. So, so here's a, the key clue to why or how you need to plan your portfolio. And Barbara and I do this all the time. It's planning income, planning for income. So we need to identify how much income you need in retirement and whether your portfolio can achieve that income relatively safely. And that's the thing that we really hone on all the time is, will that portfolio support the income that you need in retirement? And that's what it's all about. That's what you use the money for. It's not just to make more money. Well, what do you need the money made more, more for? Well, it's going to be for income. Yep, up to age 100. And that's the challenge, too. Yep. So, I mean, you know, it's higher highs are great right now. But, you know, you're not going to like those lower lows, especially when you're taking income. Right, right, right. In fact, if you're chasing returns, you... You happen to bottom out like, I'll t give you an example. I have a friend that basically invested in Tesla, made 350% return this year. But all of a sudden, you know, uh, it dropped by 35% in a few days here recently. Well, what happens if you got into the top of the, the herding mentality, you got up in at the top and you decide to buy Tesla and all of a sudden it's down by 35%. We'll go back. Who knows? Yeah, I'm right. Or you're going to be sitting on it for a while. You will be sitting on it for a while. You know, if you want to gamble with your money, it's, it's best that you go to, you know, to the riverboat or to Las Vegas <laughs> and have at least have fun doing it. You know what I mean? Right. With a good meal along the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all great uh, conversation. Yeah. I just want to interject on the rebalancing. It just seems to me, and, and you know, it's, it's not something that I've... You know, I don't, I'm not a savvy investor. I haven't been doing a whole, a real long time, but to me, it just makes a lot of sense right now with, with how overweighted some of these, you know, these companies are to the overall uh, S&P 500, where you have an opportunity maybe to rebalance and move that money around, take some of those profits off. And there's a lot of opportunities out there with companies that haven't moved a whole lot where I think when you look at the market, you say, well, everything's been going really strong for the last few months, but you know, it's been driven by these, you know, handful of companies and everywhere else it's a little bit slower to catch up. And I would hope that the next uh, year or so we'll see that happen, but it just seems like rebalancing now more than ever makes so much sense. Well, that's exactly right, Ben. In fact, back in March, you know, where the market went down, you know, shortly thereafter, we started rebalancing portfolios and some of those positions that we rebalanced. So we went from basically, you know, the, the higher returns were in the fixed sector. We took those out, put them into the lower performance uh, areas, which would be the stock sector. Some of those have come back 25, 30% or better. Unbelievable how they've come back during that short period of time. And so you're exactly right, Ben. And I would say too, Phil, as we do it, you know, there's an additional premium for doing so, the rebalancing, but 
we do it from a uh, standpoint of risk because you know if you're only supposed to have five percent of your portfolio allocated to large growth companies and now you're up there around eight or nine percent now you've got more risk in your portfolio than what you had asked for when when yeah. the portfolio was designed yeah. for you mm-hmm. yep you could actually end up becoming an, an aggressive investor and not even know it thinking you're conservative yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Well, look, if you want to have a, a look at your portfolio, see if you need to rebalance, just get a second opinion on where you stand and how much risk you're taking on. Uh, I would highly recommend you sit down and do that because as I said, you, you might be taking on much more risk than you, you'd ever even thought. So having somebody like Barbara and Phil uh, able to sit down and look over your entire portfolio and all of your investments, they'll help you determine exactly where you stand and, and what adjustments should be made so that you don't have to worry about this because the market will always go up and will always go down and, it'll, mm-hmm. and you don't want to try to chase it as we pointed out today on the podcast because usually the results are bad and, and in some cases really, really devastating for people that try to do that. So uh, an important conversation to have and I think this is a good breakdown and look at what we've seen over this uh, over the course of the last six months or so or a year even. Uh, it's been a lot of fun kind of hearing you, your perspective on this and and some of the history of, of the S&P. So you can find everything online at pathfinderwealth.com and also you can call Barbara and Phil directly and Pathfinder Wealth Management at 815-399-9806. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever it is you listen. And uh, you can catch every episode online archived at pathfinderwealth.com. Barbara and Phil, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. You take thanks, care. Thanks to our listeners. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.